Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us on Zoom or in the building Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. For the Zoom link, please contact tikvatdirector at gmail.com or contact us on our website, tikvatisrael.com. There you can also support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and find helpful resources. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of his word. So a Catholic priest, a pastor, and a rabbi all sat around looking at the same theme in the Bible. This is not the setup for a joke. This is how I prepared uh, this week's sermon. Um, Sorry to disappoint you. Uh, I relied on Father Mark Goring, a Catholic priest, Pastor Tim Mackey from the Bible Project, and Rabbi Jacob Neusner. Uh, By the way, if you're interested in the theme I'm going to talk about today, or just understanding the Bible better, uh, the Bible Project, uh, I mentioned Tim Mackey, uh, Pastor Tim, has many, many uh, podcasts and helpful videos. Um, raise your hand if you've ever uh, been blessed by one of those things. Yeah, so the Bible Project is really, really helpful. Um, and it was helpful for this sermon. Uh, all three of these individuals, the priest, the pastor, and the rabbi, they all have expertise and focus on the Hebrew Bible, the Tanakh, Uh, the Older Testament, and uh, the Jewish narratives therein, which are very foundational for the Greek scriptures, or the Newer Testament. So uh, let me open this theme with a question. When I say the word priest, what do you think of? What do you think of? Cohen? All right. Anybody else? Any other thoughts? Pastor? Okay. Yeah. So if you have a Catholic or Anglican background, um, or if you're thinking about my opening line, that was not a joke. That was true. You might think of a a clergy person, such as Reverend Dan Murata. Do you guys raise your hand if you know Reverend Dan? Yeah. So he is the pastor of the Anglican church that meets right here on Sundays, right? And uh, priests or ministers in the Anglican tradition, they wear special garments on Sundays and they play a, a special role, right? They administer the sacraments such as communion, te- they teach and serve, and they lead the worship service. Uh, this is similar to my role as a rabbi. I wear special garments, you know, I got my, my tie picked out just for you guys, and, uh, and I administer the, the Torah service, and I teach and I serve. I administer Messianic Jewish festivals and covenantal commitments such as communion, right, just like the Anglican priest does. Both modern rabbis and Anglican priests get their vocation from the biblical priesthood. So perhaps when I say the, the word priest, you don't think of, you know, uh, Reverend Dan, but you think of, there's some people over here that said it, the Cohen, right? The priest in, uh, in the scriptures, right? Uh, which in, in Hebrew is Cohen, all right? Uh, so uh, what is that all about? 
Well, uh, when I say the word priest, maybe you think of a Kohen or perhaps a Levite, right? Which is uh, uh, from the tribe of Levi. And they have special clothing as well, right? They administer worship and sacrifices in the tabernacle and later in the temple. And the high priest goes in once a year on Yom Kippur and makes atonement for all Israel to cleanse the people and the sacred space. Sounds kind of like uh, the vocation of a modern priest, right? Or a modern rabbi. It's very similar, right? You see the connection there? See, I'm, I'm wa we're walking through together. Okay. Don't, don't, uh, you know, we'll, we'll try to stay together in the group. I know we're going to do a, a large tour today, but uh, try to stay together. Okay. We have someone uh, who's part of our community with the last name Cohen. Why is that? Well, he is descended from those priests, right? Anyone whose last name is Cohen is, uh, is that case. My father's mother, Grammy Sylvia, she, her maiden name was Sylvia Cohen, right? So that was her name. Uh, that is until she married my grandfather, and then she became a ween, and then we're the wines, and that's another story. Okay, so now another question follows. Who is the first priest? in the Bible. And there's actually a couple possible answers to this that I will accept. All right, so what do we got? I heard the president. What? Oh, Melchizedek. Okay, yes. Sorry, I'm getting old, right? Okay, uh, so Melchizedek is uh, perhaps the first priest. What's another answer? Adam? Aaron? Yeah, this is exactly what I was thinking. These are the three answers that I have. Aaron was the first official high priest. Melchizedek, this mysterious figure in Genesis 14, is the first person to be called a Cohen in the scriptures, to be called a priest. And then we have Adam and also Eve, right? In some way, they are also priests. That's very interesting. It's very interesting you said that. You get a Torah point and also other Torah points for those who are participating. I like this participating. It makes me feel like we're, we're in this together. Okay? So uh, you could argue that the first two priests are Adam and Eve in the garden, which means that in some ways all of humanity, because Adam means human, right? All of humanity are what? Priests. We could also say that Abel is a priest. Remember? Because he offers a sacrifice. We could say that Noah is a priest. We could say that Abraham is a proto-priest, right? That Moses, Aaron's brother, is a priest. We could say that King David is a priest. We could say that all of Israel is a royal priesthood. All the Jewish people we could say that all the followers of Yeshua are priests. And we could say that, we could definitely say, that Yeshua is the high priest, the Kohen Gadol. So if you are a follower of Yeshua, or if you are part of the peoplehood of Israel, or if you are a human, I think that covers everyone, then uh, what does that mean? means you're a, pri yeah, a priest. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. It means you're a priest, right? You're supposed to be. So let's take a look at what that means and how to do it. You want to do that with me? Keep going? All right. So who shall we start with? Who's the, who's the first priest? Let's do Adam and Eve. 
the biblical writers put lots of links between Eden and the later tabernacle and temple. Eden is a cosmic temple, and the first humans are priests. The first line of the Torah says what? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That means that this book, this whole book, is about the link between these two realms that God created and how they're in one place, and then there's a little bit of a separation, a little bit of disruption there, and how God is bringing them back together. And there are some places, like the temple, where heaven and earth collide, where heaven and earth are in the same place. The link between the two, the gateway between heaven and earth, as a location, is where? That's Eden. And in the ancient Near East, where is the gateway? What would the ancient Near Eastern people do to create a gateway between heaven and earth? They would build a temple, right? Or sometimes a, you could call it a ziggurat, right? Like a little, little pyramid type thing. And every temple, including the cosmic temple of Eden, has a priest, a mediator, someone working in there, right? To bring the two realms together, right? It requires someone to, to do that. The gateway between heaven and earth as a place is the Eden temple. And the gateway between heaven and earth as a person, a gateway can also be a person, is Adam and Eve who were like proto-priests. In the temples in the ancient Near East, there was always an image. There was always an idol that was supposed to represent the presence of their quote-unquote God with a small g. But in Eden, no idols. And in the tabernacle of this week's portion, and in the temple of Solomon, there's no idols. Why is that? No images. Well, one of the reasons, there was already a representative of the God of creation in the temple. There was already something in the image of God. The humans. Don't make an image of God. Be the image of God. And out of this imaging God flows the priestly calling and function of the first humans. There's one thing that represents God in the created world. Only one thing. That's us. At least, we're supposed to. Right? We live in the land realm, but we are to bring the heaven realm with our purpose and identity and calling. First, we're supposed to do two things in the garden. To serve and to guard. Genesis 2.15 puts it like this. Vayikach Adonai Elohim et ha'adam v'yanichehu v'gan eden la'avda u'l'shamra. Okay, do you catch the last, last two verbs there? La'avda u'l'shamra. Or it could be shomra. could be a long, long, long kamatz. Is it shomra? All right. It could be. All right. We have some Israelis here to help me out. What does this mean for those of us who aren't, aren't as familiar with Hebrew? Can, can anyone translate it? It's up there. <laughs> Let's translate it. Then Adonai Elohim took the man 
and gave him rest in the Garden of Eden in order to do two things. Cultivate it, Oved, and watch over it, Shomer. Somebody say Oved. What is that? Cultivate. What else does it mean? Work. Oved. What else does it mean? Yes, servant. Yeah, Eved is servant or slave, right? Right? We're the servants of God, right? We serve, right? A priest or a rabbi is supposed to serve, right? A human is supposed to work the land, right? It also is related to worship, avodah. In, in Judaism, avodah is also prayer, right? Because our prayers and our worship of God is, is like our worship of God, is like our sacrifice, right? Huh, so those are all connected. What about Shomer? Am I my brother's keeper? Yeah, yeah, you are. Yeah, we are. <laughs> what is that? Vishamru. Yes, so, and you shall care for, in this case, Vishamru. What is Wayne referencing? You shall keep the Shabbat. You're supposed to shomer the commandments. You're supposed to shomer your brother, shomer your sister, guard, protect, keep. These are very full words, right? So our primary objective in the garden was these two things. So later, when describing the vocation of the Levites or priests, this is what we find. And this is from Numbers chapter 3, verses 5 through 8, and I have uh, verse 7 in Hebrew. What's that first word? Vishamru. Yeah. And then there's another shamar, right? You see it? That third word there? There's another keep. And then there's another shamar. Mishmeret. Huh. And then you see the oved. La'avod et avodat hamishkan. Then Adonai spoke to Moses saying, gather the tribe of Levi near the Levites, the priests, and appoint them to attend to Aaron the Cohen. They are to keep watch over duties for him, watch over, right? And the entire community before the tent of meeting while performing the service of the tabernacle. Performing service is both Oved. Both of those are Oved. They are all to tend to all the implements of the tent of meeting and the service of the children of Israel while performing the service of the tabernacle. If you just read it in English, you miss it, right? Priests have the same uh, calling as Adam and Eve, right? To Oved and to Shomer. So those are priestly words. All right, let's look at the geography of Eden. Have you ever looked at that? This is from Genesis 2, 10 through 14, just before verse 15, just before the Oved and Shomer verse. Let's read it together. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bedellium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. So four rivers are flowing out 
of this place. What does that mean? Ge geographically, what does that mean? But like, think about how a river flows. River flows down. So if four rivers are coming out of a place, what does that mean geographically? It's on a mountain. Eden has to be on a cosmic mountain. Think of the cosmic mountain of Sinai, which is another kind of temple, isn't it? Or the mountain of Jerusalem. We have some Israelis here today. Isn't Jerusalem on a mountain? Yeah. Or the mountain of transfiguration. When Yeshua glows with the brightness of his revealed glory along with Moses and Elijah and two of his students. The cosmic mountain temple is a recurring image in the Bible. And we, the readers, are supposed to overlay these images one on top of the other like a Torah collage. The mountain of Moriah, what happened there? Abraham went up to prepare the sacrifice for Isaac. And that same mountain is where something else happened. Something else was built on the mountain, the cosmic temple where the near sacrifice of Isaac took place. What else is there? Does anybody know? Ah, huh. Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, where? Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to David his father at the place that David had appointed on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite, Second Chronicles 3.1. The first temple, the permanent tabernacle, the permanent Mishkan, right? where the priests would do their sacrifices, was on the same cosmic mountain temple as the near sacrifice of Isaac. Coincidence? I think not. Also, remember the stones. Remember the precious stones that were in the garden? Mentioned in the geography of Eden? What were they? Gold, bdellium, and onyx. Yeah, good memory. Here's a picture of onyx, by the way. Isn't that beautiful? That was in the garden. The first time the word, the Hebrew word for onyx appears is in Genesis 2, in the garden. What about the second time? Where do you think that appears? Take a wild guess. The breastplate of what? The priest, where? In the tabernacle, which is this week's Parsha. You think onyx stones show up? Why is that? it's the garden. The garden is the temple, and Adam and Eve are the priests. Here it is from Exodus 28, verse 9. This is in this week's portion. You are to take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the children of Israel. All the names of the children of Israel will to be on onyx stones, just like in Eden. So that the high priest would carry them right here on his breastplate. So what do we have so far? All of humanity, represented by Adam and Eve, all of us are meant to be priests in Eden. The work of a priest is to represent God, to be image bearers, to shomer, to protect, 
that which is in our garden, to oved, work, serve, worship in our garden. And we're given special clothing to wear, aren't we? To reflect the brightness, the divine glory of God. What does that onyx do? It shines. It shines, right? His light is supposed to shine on us. His light is supposed to shine on the priests in the tabernacle who wear those gemstones and they wear white clothing. The priests in our Parsha also carry with them the names of the rest of Israel. Just as Adam and Eve carry within them all of humanity. As we go about our lives, we represent God to the other humans. And we re represent all the other humans to God in prayer, don't we? This is the role of mediation. The high priest would atone for the sins of the rest of Israel. He would represent Israel to God. Another way to think about this is image. Here's a continuation of the idea of the image of God in a later generation of Adam. This is from Genesis 5, 1 through 3. This is the book of the genealogies of Adam, the Toldot. When God created Adam, in the likeness of God, he made him. We remember that, right? He made them male and female in his image. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and called their name Adam, humanity, when he created them. Adam lived 130 years, then fathered a son, uh-oh, in his likeness, after his image, and named him Seth. Did you catch that? Adam's son, Seth, is made in the image of his father, Adam, just as Adam is made in the image of his father, who is God. So when Seth looks at Adam, who is he supposed to see? He's supposed to see the face of God, shining, reflected in his earthly father, shining with divine glory, like the face of Moses, or the transfigured face of Yeshua the Messiah on the cosmic mountain temple. And when God looks at Adam, what does he see? He sees the image of Adam's son, Seth. Adam carries his son's name to God to bring his son to God and to bring God to him. Adam is supposed to be a father to Seth as God is a father to him. This is part of what it means to be a priest. This is part of our calling as priests. Well, let's take another priestly figure. What about Moses? Moses is Aaron's brother, the first official high priest, which means that Moses is also a Levite from the tribe of Levi. In many ways, Moses serves as a priest as much as Aaron does. Have you ever thought about that? The Parsha describes the clothing and the role of the priest in the tabernacle, which would be Aaron and his descendants, the high priest, but many things apply to Moses. For example, when Moses came down from the cosmic mountain temple, what did his face look like? It was shining. So much that, that what? The Israelites couldn't even look at him. 
Moses' priestly role was to the rest of Israel, to mediate the presence of God, to mediate the Torah, the teaching of God, to mediate the love of God, to mediate the forgiveness of God, to mediate the Torah of God, the word of God, the love of God, the forgiveness of God to the rest of Israel. Isn't that what Adam and Eve are supposed to do? Isn't that what we're supposed to do? When the people looked at Moses, they were supposed to see the face of Hashem. And in that moment, they kind of did, right? That glory, that shining like an onyx stone. When folks look at us, they should see the character, the kindness of God flowing through us. And when God looked at Moses, when God looked at Aaron, he saw the face of his children, Israel, and he had mercy on them. And when Israel messed up with the golden calf, which is next week's Parsha, Moses stood in the gap. Didn't he say that? He said, blot me out of your book of life, but spare these sheep who have sinned against you. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he said, right? Aren't we supposed to do that? We're supposed to intercede for our people. We're supposed to pray for others that are far from God. Now, there's one thing I haven't told you about being a priest that may have come through by this point. It's related to another role that Adam had, that Melchizedek and Moses and David all had, that all Israel has, that all followers of Yeshua have, and that you have. You know, there's a song from a Muppet movie recently that I think will really help here. The original song is called, Am I a Man or a Muppet? And this is how it goes. Let's put it on the screen. <clears throat> if you know it, you can sing with me. Am I a man or am I a Muppet? Am I a Muppet? If I'm a Muppet, then I'm a very manly Muppet. Very manly Muppet. Am I a Muppet or am I a man? man. If I'm a man, that makes me a Muppet of a man. So here's how we could change the lyrics to be helpful with our theme. You want to sing this with me? Am I a priest or am I a king? Am I a king? If I'm a king, then I'm a very priestly king. Very priestly king. Am I a king? I can't hear you guys. Or am I a priest? Am I a priest? If I'm a priest, that makes me a very royal priest. All right. I don't think you all were singing with me. Maybe you didn't know that one. Okay. Yes, that's right. Israel and Adam and you are a kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood. Or maybe a priestly king, a royal who intercedes. You're a ruler who serves. Huh? Oved? Yeah. A shepherding and regal worshiper. They go together, is what I'm saying. If I had time, perhaps I would speak about the priestly kingship of Abel and Melchizedek and Abraham and King David. 
My plan is to do a short series and perhaps tackle some of these examples along with next week's uh, tour portion, but we'll see what the Lord leads me to. But I'm, I'm, I'm planning on doing a, a series, which includes next week is the golden calf. So we really see Moses acting like a priest there. But for now, we're going to turn to the great high priest, Yeshua, and even his students. Ah. As I mentioned at the top of the sermon, I drew from a priest, you know, a Catholic one, not a, a Cohen, a, a pastor and a rabbi for this sermon. Would you like to hear from the rabbi? In the book, A Rabbi Talks with Jesus, Rabbi Jacob Neusner engages with the teachings of Yeshua, which he puts into a Jewish context. Sometimes it's, it's nice when Jewish academics are drawn to the person of Yeshua, like Amy Jill Levine, because that lends legitimacy to what we're doing, right? And they can be a kind of bridge as we are a bridge. So sometimes it's helpful. Uh, this does not compel Rabbi Neusner to be a Yeshua-following Jew, as I am, but it is helpful, I think. And Rabbi Neusner touches on something important about the episode where Yeshua and his disciples pick up heads of grain on Shabbat. Quote, this is from Rabbi Neusner. The Sabbath is when God's kingdom comes. Rightly, then, did Jesus link the two messages. Take up my yoke, and the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He could not have made the matter clearer. When therefore I notice the conduct of Jesus' disciples picking crops on the Sabbath, which is servile labor within creation rather than the celebration of creation, my curiosity deepens. Jesus' argument appeals to the fact that David's followers took food reserved for the priests. When Jesus further justifies his followers' actions by pointing that out, in the temple, the priests perform the rites of worship, so it is right to do so here. And he introduces a very profound argument, making a claim about, a claim about himself that in its monumental quality parallels what he has said about abandoning father and mother and following him. To understand what he says, to grasp how surprising I find it, you have to know that the temple and the world beyond the temple form mirror images of one another. What we do in the temple is the opposite of what we do everywhere else. The Torah is explicit that sacrifices are to be offered on that day. For example, an additional offering for the Sabbath is prescribed in Numbers. The showbread of the temple was replaced on the Sabbath day. This is me right here, but we see that's, what is that? That's Oved. That's work. It's worship, right? So it was clear to everybody that it was not to be done outside the temple in secular space, but was required to be done in holy space, in the temple itself. When therefore Jesus says that something greater than the temple is here, he can only mean that he and his disciples may do on the Sabbath what they do because they stand in the place of the priests in the temple. The holy place has shifted, now being formed by the circle made up of the master and his disciples. Unquote. Yeah. What was another one of the main purposes of the priests in the tabernacle and then the temple? To mediate the forgiveness. The forgiveness of God. Atonement for sins. Sacrifices. Healing. Restoration. The presence of God. 
So this is, this is exactly what we see Yeshua doing, isn't it? But a step further, like Yogi Bear, he's not your average priest, right? He's a little bit different. After getting into a boat, Yeshua crossed over and came to his own town. Just then, some people brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a cot and seeing their faith. Yeshua said to the paralyzed man, Take courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. Then some of the Torah scholars said amongst themselves, This fellow blasphemes! Unless, you know, he's a different kind of priest. Then it's okay, right? And knowing their thoughts, Yeshua said, Why are you entertaining evil in your hearts? For which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But so you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to pardon sins. Then he tells the paralyzed man, get up, take your cot, and go home. And he got up and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid and glorified God, who had given such authority to men. Matthew 9. Yeshua mediates forgiveness and represents God's forgiveness, just like a priest, but there's a little something extra, and that's called authority. Yeshua has assurance of healing and restoration and the wiping away of this man's spiritual debts. No average priest has that kind of authority. Only the eternal high priest, Yeshua. And that's why the Torah scholars said, this is blasphemy. And his students, his disciples, his followers, they had a priestly role as well, didn't they? Just because they were his students. After he had been raised from the dead, we find this narrative toward the end of John's gospel. It was evening on that day, the first of the week, when the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Judean leaders, Yeshua came and stood in their midst. He said to them, Shalom Aleichem. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Yeshua said to them again, Shalom Aleichem. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. To do what? To be priests. After he said this, he breathed on them. Like the breath of life in Genesis, right? And he said to them, receive the Ruach HaKodesh. If you forgive anyone's sins, they're forgiven. And if you hold back, they're held back. John chapter 20. We're his students as well, are we not? Yeshua is our rabbi. He's my rabbi. Yeah? So let's mediate forgiveness to our brothers and sisters. Let's be priests. Let's allow the forgiveness and love and restoration of God to flow through us to a hurting world. Let's mediate to the rest of Israel the love of Messiah Yeshua. Let's look for opportunities to share the hope, the forgiveness that we have in Messiah and to act on that, right? We follow the priests, but in some way, we are little priests. To act on that, how do we do that? We forgive. We pray for others that are hurt. We pray for others that are far from God. There's a confrontation between Yeshua and the high priest, Caiaphas, in Matthew 26. It's very interesting. I encourage you to take a look at it and think about this. 
Think about what the high priest, Caiaphas, was supposed to be. How do we know what he was supposed to be? We look at Adam, we look at Eve, we look at Moses, we look at the other examples we mentioned. And when we read the Gospels, let's notice how Yeshua relates to the high priest, how Yeshua relates to the temple. The temple, the second temple, what was that supposed to be? It's supposed to be a doorway between heaven and earth. So Yeshua claims about himself that he's that doorway, right? Yeshua himself brings that priesthood. He is Hamakom, he's the place. Yeshua himself is the cosmic mountain temple to bridge heaven and earth. Yeshua is Eden. And in our lives, let's remember that the whole earth is supposed to be an Eden temple. The whole earth. And we are supposed to serve as kingly priests to work, to pray, to forgive, and to represent the Father to a hurting world. Let's pray. Avinu, we have a monumental calling. In some ways, it's it's a little overwhelming. But in Messiah, we ask that we reflect your goodness. We reflect your forgiveness. We mediate blessing. Help us to pray for others. Help us to be a light, to, to shine with your glory in some way like Moses. There'd be less of us and more of you. And we know also that we're conformed to your image over time. That we're going to, we're, we're moving toward being brighter and brighter. Reflecting you more and more as we spend time with you, as we pray, as we act as priests, as we offer up our sacrifice of praise, as we offer up the living sacrifice that is our very self. And as we allow the great high priest, Yeshua the Messiah, to mediate forgiveness to us so that we can mediate forgiveness to others. Help us to be more like you day by day, to be conformed to your image, that the world may know that you are God and that you are love and that you sent your son to be a high priest for us. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.